A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about the Mary Celeste, a ship that was built in the 1860s became famous when she was found abandoned, floating through the Atlantic with all of her crew missing and everything on board untouched. It's a bit of a bloody spooky one this time around. Going to send some shivers down your spine. Let's get to it and uh, and begin the story of the Mary Celeste. The ship that would uh, go on to become the Mary Celeste was finished in 1861 in uh, Nova Scotia in Canada. Uh, she was first registered under, under the name Amazon, which is a bit of a head-scratcher because obviously she was built in Canada. No idea why she wasn't called the ice hockey or the maple syrup or the bloody out for a rip, are you, bud? But anyway, uh, she gets up to no good right from the start. She's playing funny buggers from the get-go, and the people involved with her, uh, you know, at the beginning got all all messed up and, and not in a good way. First up, she's taking, you know, boring stuff like wood and whatever else, I don't know, across the, across the Atlantic, and on this maiden voyage, all sorts of stuff goes wrong. Firstly, the first captain she ever had, a bloke whose name was Robert McClellan gets crook. He gets crook as a dog and he dies. She then goes on to crash into poor, uh, some poor fisherman stuff in Maine, you know, wrecking his entire business effectively. And third, after finally getting to London and turning her snoot around to come back home, she's a prank with another ship in the English Channel and sinks the thing. So it's fair to say that she's off to a very bad bloody start, but things settle down a bit after that, you know, after having, you know, killed her captain wrecked a fisherman's business and and then, you know, sunk a ship in the English Channel. She calms down just a little bit and uh, does five or six years of, you know, zipping around the Atlantic, generally keeping quiet, and, uh, and even gets a painting done of her as well. But it all stuffs up in 1867, however, when a storm absolutely ruins her. Ruins her, it does, blows her, you know, halfway across the ocean, and she's washed ashore as a wreck on Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia. Her owners, by this stage, are sick of her nonsense, decide that enough is enough, and leave her to rot on the shore, packing up their bags, swearing under their breath, stupid bloody ship, bloody rubbish it is, can't believe my luck, bloody terrible, going to go and, you know, move her into a safer industry like goat farming. I, that was that was straight out of my bum, that one. I imagine goats are relatively easy to farm, seeing as they eat just about anything and, and, and you know, are real obnoxious bastards. Anyway, a couple of weeks after this, a bloke whose name is... Alexander McBean, which I quite like, pretty silly name, uh, snags her as a derelict and manages to flog her. 
uh, she ends up in the hands of a bloke named Richard Haynes. He snags this, you know, limping wreck of a ship for just shy of two grand and then spends almost nine grand putting her back together. Now, my dad once bought an old FB Holden that he was going to put back together, but all it did was sit in the garage and collect rust. So good on old Hainsey for actually, uh, you know, getting up and about and fixing her up. Anyway, once she's all finished, he re-registers her with a new name. She's now the Mary Celeste registered in New York. Haynes makes himself the captain and presumably enjoys, you know, the infinite sex appeal that comes with owning your own ship, putting him, you know, just getting amongst it, putting, a, you know, his best foot forward out, out there in the, in the clubs and, uh, you know, picking up like you wouldn't believe. But um, it doesn't last, however, as in 1869, he, uh, he runs out of money. You know, no surprise, seeing as he sank a lot of cash into putting the stupid ship back together. But uh, as a result, the, the blokes that he owes money to take the Mary Celeste off him and they flog it once again, this time to a bloke named James H. Winchester and the consortium that he's in charge of. So Winchester now puts the ship to work and even uh, chucks some more money at her to upgrade her further. He sinks another 10 grand into her to increase her size, which involved, get this, extensions to the poop. Anyway, uh, he also sorts her out with a new captain, a bloke whose name is Benjamin Briggs. And in 1872, she's all ready to go on her first voyage after having been done up. The plan is to sail from New York to Genoa and old mate Briggsy gets his crew together for the trip. There are 10 people all up. There are three other officers on top of him. There are four general seamen and uh, his missus and their baby daughter. Although that he, he actually left his older son at home, which is a bit bloody rough, I have to say. You know, all these blokes are decent enough, it seems. And, and Briggs even wrote to his mum before heading off saying how much he liked the crew that he'd put together. So good on him there, you know, taking care of business and, and writing to his old mum. Good idea. Never, never a bad idea to get in touch with your mum. So we're off to a good start here. Briggs is heaps amped to get over to Italy with his cargo. It's loaded up on the 20th of October, 1872. He'll be sailing with 1,701 barrels of methylated spirits. Not sure why they're, you know, not, not, not the nice round number 1,700. Had to get that extra one in there, get the value. Uh, but basically, poisonous and highly flammable alcohol that obviously stinks to high heaven. But no worries, they're squirreled away in the hold while Briggs waits for his missus and the rest of the crew. Not a problem, it's all loaded up and they're ready to shoot off on the 5th of November. But after some bad weather, they delay until the 7th just to be safe and then zoom, they're off across the Atlantic and this is the last time that any of the people aboard the ship are ever seen. So as the Mary Celeste is making its way across the Atlantic, another ship, the Die Gratia, is getting all loaded up in New Jersey. She's also headed to Genoa with her hold full of petroleum. Uh, she's captained by, by a bloke whose name is David Morehouse, who is actually mates with Briggs, although it's not known for sure how close they were. There are indications they were really good friends, you know, were cracking open cold ones and copping feeds together, but it's more likely that they were just, you know, mates through work as they, as, as they did the same sort of stuff. In any case, Morehouse sets sail in the Day Gratia uh, eight days after the Mary Celeste has, uh, has buggered off out of New York, and as you'd expect, goes more, you know, follows more or less exactly the same route as the Mary, the, the Mary Celeste was on, as they're both headed for, you know, the exact same destination. For the first few uh, weeks, smooth sailing, as you'd expect, uh, but then on the 4th of December, Shock horror, twist ending. It all goes tits up here. Morehouse comes back, comes up on deck, right? And one of his officers comes up to him and says, bloody hell, Cap, have a quick look at this. Have a shifty over there. Big bloody ship. You know, bugger to all hell. Have a look. And now Morehouse, he, you know, he looks out through the telescope. Telescope? You want, you want a bloody astronomer. What are those things called that they use? The, the, the pirate eye sausages. What are they? I don't know. Anyway, the things that, the, you know, the, they look in the... Anyway, doesn't matter. He looks through this this thing and, and he sees the the damaged sail and the eyeglass. 
Spyglass. Spyglass. Spyglass? I'm going to go with Spyglass. He looks through his Spyglass and he sees the damaged sails and, and the riggings of this ship. And he thinks to himself, hmm, someone's playing funny buggers here. This isn't right. This shouldn't be going on. The ship is drifting towards them, but there's no sign of life on board. And so Morehouse, he gets on the front foot and he decides that he's going to investigate. The Digratia uh, approaches the ship and discovers, again, big bloody twist coming, seatbelts on, mate, that it's none other, you'll never guess, than the Mary Celeste. Now, as I say, there's no sign of life on board, and the ship seems to be in a bad way. So Morehouse orders two of his officers to go aboard and investigate. They hop in the boat, they row themselves over, and sure enough, they find the ship has been completely abandoned. Anyway, like Holmes and Watson, they prowl around the ship looking for clues, and here is a quick list of what they come up with. The sails and rigging are damaged, as I said, with loose and broken ropes here, there, and everywhere. But despite this, the sails were set, although not all of them. The main hatch was still closed, but the one at the front and the one at the back was still... Oh, sorry, excuse, a thousand pardons to all the bloody nautical nerds out there. I should be saying the fore and the aft of the ship, shouldn't I? Like nerds. Anyway, the main hatch is closed. The fore and the aft hatch are open. Down in the hold, uh, there was over a metre of water, which sounds like a lot, but actually wasn't the end of the world for a ship as big as the Mary Celeste. Um, and they also found a sounding rod, the thing that you would use to measure something like water in the hold, lying on the, de- uh, the deck of the ship. The glass that covered the compass was broken and the lifeboat was missing, which obviously gave some indication as to what those aboard had done. The two officers continue to uh, investigate further after these initial findings. They dig through and, and uh, the cabins and, and you know, search all, the, all the, you know, that sort of stuff. And they find the ship's logbook, which hasn't been written in for 10 days. There's nothing unusual in it. And its, finally, its final entry records that the Mary Celeste was 740 kilometres away from its current position. All of the navigation equipment is missing, as are the ship's papers, but there's a sheathed sword tucked away under one of the beds. There's still plenty of food and provisions and stuff like that, and generally everything is neat and tidy, although there's a bit of a mess here and there and some water sloshing around that got in from the top of the deck. Now, if all of this sounds a bit boring, it's because, well, you know, to be perfectly honest, it is pretty bloody boring. There isn't really that much to indicate that anything suspicious is going on. There's no sign of a mutiny or a scrap or anything like that. It's just as though everyone aboard decided to jump into the lifeboat and and, and bugger off. But given that there's no obvious reason why this might have happened, it's a real puzzler for old old mate Morehouse when his officers come back and tell him what they've found. The ship is just there, completely abandoned, no sign of anything underwater having gone on, the sails still catching the wind, and all of the stuff on board more or less completely untouched. It was spooky as anything, but perhaps more pressing for Morehouse was the fact that if you salvaged a ship, you copped a fair whack of cash based on how much it was worth, including its cargo. For that reason, he decides to bring the Mary Celeste to Gibraltar, hoping for a nice fat payday once he's handed her in. He splits up the crew between the ships, and they make the rest of the journey at a snail's pace due to how undermanned both ships were all the way across the rest of the Atlantic to the mouth of the Mediterranean. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So after a long journey, Morehouse limps across the line and into Gibraltar on the 12th of December, a week or so after they discovered the Mary Celeste. And the crew are all beyond, they are, you know, they're exhausted, they're beyond tired here, these blokes, uh, but they're looking forward to getting properly cashed up from the salvage. The Mary Celeste is immediately impounded and the salvage court hearings begin five days later on the 17th of December. It's overseen by, by a bloke whose name is Frederick Flood, who by all accounts was a bit of a, a, bit of a real bastard, to be honest. Uh, one historian described him as a bloke whose arrogance and pomposity were inversely proportional to his IQ, which is a pretty savage burn coming from some nerd of a historian, I have to say. Anyway, the hearing begins and the two officers that investigate the ship give their accounts of it. Flood is having none of it, however, and he decides that these bastards from the De Gratia are up to no good and they've been uh, perpetrating some chicanery here. He orders a full investigation of the ship itself and finds that there was some suspicious damage to the bow of the ship, as well as what, uh, as, what, as, well as what may have been traces of blood on the sheathed sword that may have been found. The investigator also claims that the ship hadn't been subject to bad weather because he found a file of liquid uh, standing upright on a table, never mind that you know it might have been set right or put down by one of Morehouse's boys. There's also a stain on one of the rails that might be blood and a cut that looks like it was made by an axe. Because of all of this, Flood decides that there had been a mutiny. He thought that the the four crewmen on the Mary Celeste had got to the methylated spirits, got pissed as chooks, and murdered the rest of the people aboard before fleeing on the light boat, lifeboat. Never mind that the alcohol on board was all, you know, highly poisonous. And, you know, ignore that bit, Flood, old son, you bloody goose. But he also reckons that Morehouse is lying through his teeth and was part of a conspiracy to profit off the Mary Celeste, you know, getting abandoned like this. By this time, several weeks have passed, and so old mate Jimmy Winchester, the owner of the ship, has turned up in Gibraltar to see what's going on here. Winchester has a crack at Flood, calling him an absolute turkey and demanding his ship back, but Flood tells him to stick it right up his ass. Unfortunately for this dickhead Flood, when the blood stains are analysed, it turns out they're not blood at all. And as for the damage done to the ship, investigators rule that they, you know, they were just caused by natural forces after the ship were abandoned. So Flood ends up looking like a complete idiot. He looks like a total goose, and he's, t- he's forced to give away the Mary Celeste back to Winchester, who crews it again and sets off to Genoa. As for poor old Morehouse, he only gets £1,700 for his trouble. He should have got two or three times as much of this under the circumstances, but the whole hearing absolutely took him for a ride, so he cuts his losses, smart bloke, and heads on to Genoa as well, and that's the end of that. So what actually happened to the ship? There were so many theories put forth, many of which you know got sort of messed up and confused by the false reporting and, and actual just actual made-up rubbish that people put about after this whole thing. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes, wrote a short story based on the whole thing and didn't change enough details for people to realise that it was just a story, and so some people took it seriously. Obviously, there's no fault in that. He's a bloody brilliant author. Do yourself a favour and read the uh, Sherlock Holmes books if you haven't already. But it did uh, definitely muddy the waters in what the public perception of this whole issue was. Anyway, a couple of different theories put forth as to what actually went on with the Mary Celeste, so let's have a chat about a couple of them. 
The most obvious and talked about theory was, of course, that some of the people on board might have just broken bad and murdered the other people, just as old mate Flood thought. Even though there wasn't much evidence to support this, there were some vicious rumours that whirled around Winchester in particular, because as the owner of the ship, people reckoned that he might have tried to pull a fast one on the old insurance fraud. The idea was that he had paid off Morehouse to chase down the Mary Celeste, do in the people aboard, and then make it seem like they'd you know, just found it there. But this theory is full of holes because Morehouse has had a squeaky clean record and was known to be a very good bloke. And anyway, he was also supposed to be mates with Briggs, as you remember, and you know, not likely to off his mate there like that. But aha, people said. Then Briggs was in on it too, and the two captains worked together, hoping to split the salvage reward. But this theory, obviously, very easily refuted as well, as it was pointed out that if Briggs had, uh, you know, had had this plan to disappear off the face of the earth with his booty, he wouldn't have left his poor old son back in the US. You remember that the son is there, you know, now a tragic, tragically an orphan back in the back in the states by himself. Another theory put forth was an attack by pirates, but this also didn't hold any water because they would have nicked all the valuable stuff off of the ship. They would have taken all the methylated spirits to try to sell for themselves, and so a pirate attack also doesn't cover all of the uh, the evidence that's there as well. So generally speaking, people are chucking about wild theories about nasty business taking place on the ship, but there's basically just nothing to back anything else like that up. The biggest piece of evidence to suggest what had happened was the fact that the lifeboat wasn't there anymore. Many different ideas you know, as to why are put forward, and most of them suggest that there had been some kind of big danger to the people aboard the ship, so they'd fled onto the lifeboat. One idea was that the barrels of alcohol on the ship may have leaked fumes... Uh, and, you know, and stuff like that into the air, which made Briggs evacuate the ship in, in, in case it blew to you know, smithereens. So they all, imagine this, you know, they all scramble on the lifeboat, they leave, leave the hatches open to try to air out the hold, and then lose contact with the ship and float off to their doom. Uh, and that would explain why they took the navigational equipment and the ship's log, or other, you know, other papers and that sort of stuff, not the ship's log, but the papers and stuff, you know, to, to help them navigate if they were going to have to use a lifeboat. Anyway, um, other ideas involving dangers from the natural world, stuff like maybe an iceberg floating way, way, way south, which is highly unlikely, or a water spout, which would explain the damage to the rigging and the sails as well as, well as the water in the hold. But to be honest, the simple answer is that we really have no bloody idea what happened to the Mary Celeste. Even today, even today, this is great, you can read ridiculous theories about Atlantis and alien abductions and all sorts of other nonsense, but at the, at the bottom of it all, we just don't bloody know, and we probably never will. It is as spooky as anything. One of the great unsolved mysteries of the sea. Anyway, after what happened in Gibraltar, the Mary Celeste picked up a terrible reputation for being cursed. No captains wanted to sail on her because of all the rumours of mutiny, fraud, aliens, and you know what have you. And as a result, Winchester ends up washing his hands of the whole thing, sells the ship at a huge loss in 1874, and uh, guess what? Her new owners have a string of bad luck with her as well, which certainly didn't help the whole cursed ship business. She's sailing around, losing money, having captains die, all sorts of stuff. It's bad business. She's resold and then re-registered a bunch of times until in 1884, her captain at the time, a bloke named uh, Gilman C. Parker, decides to, ca- you know, it's time to cash it in. I can imagine, you know, before this, before old Parker decides enough, they're going around being like, oh, I've got this bloody new ship for sale. What's it called? Uh, the the um, the Sari Molest? No, not that. That's a bad name. Not going to call it that. It's the the Jane Jane Doe. Yep, that's it. Oh, is it really? It's not the Mary. Cel- no, it's not. No, no, not not the Mary Celeste. What's the? It looks like it's got Mary Celeste written on, then scribbled out, and, and you've written the new name underneath. No, 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 no. Ignore that. That's just a. That was just, that's just a trick of the light. Don't worry about that. No, definitely, definitely not the Mary Celeste here. In any case. 
Gilman C. Parker had enough of that rubbish, which presumably definitely happened with a great degree of historical accuracy. So he pulls together a little conspiracy. Check this out. This one's good. He pulls together a little conspiracy with some of his mates. He fills the Mary Celeste up full as a goog with all sorts of worthless rubbish and takes out a very expensive insurance premium on her and then drives her straight into a reef near Haishi. He's expecting the big fat payday, obviously, uh, but he gets done by his insurance company and he goes on trial for a crime called barratry, which includes you know, stuff like, for example, deliberately wrecking your own ship to uh, cash in on the insurance money. But he never gets done for it uh, and uh, it dies in poverty shortly after the whole affair, along with one other conspirator, conspirator and a third went stark raving mad. The long arm of the Mary Celeste is gone get you. Doesn't matter if you drive her into a reef, she's gone get you. As for the wreck of the ship, it's never actually been conclusively found and it's probably rotted away amongst the reef that it was driven up against. An appropriately mysterious end, you have to say, for a very mysterious ship. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of the Mary Celeste, a, uh, a very spooky story indeed. I, I really do like the fact that we just have no idea to this day what actually uh, happened when she was found floating in the middle of the Atlantic. Anyway, that's that for this week. We're going to get through the boring housekeeping announcements. If you want to skip ahead to, you know, the last 20, 15, 20 seconds of the show to hear the hilarious Reddit question, feel free to do that now because it's the same stuff. There's nothing new here. Uh, for those of you who are new and haven't sat through the housekeeping messages, welcome. By all means, welcome. It's great to have you. I mean, it's great to have all of you. No matter who you are, no matter how many episodes you've been listening to, whether it's one or 29, it's great to have you along. Um, but if you want to get in touch with the show, jump onto halfhousehistory.net. You'll find a contact portal there in addition to all of the old uh, episodes of the show. And the Patreon, I've mentioned that for a couple of weeks, actually. The Patreon is still going strong. Thank you to so much, uh, so many people who are contributing uh, financially to, the, to support the show. I really very much do appreciate it. I, I, ca- I can't properly express that. And, of course, there's no obligation. I certainly don't expect it. But it is very nice of you to chuck me a couple of bucks every week. Uh, uh, thank you. I uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart, ladies and gentlemen. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, as I say, you can uh, send us an email either through the contact portal on the website or at halfhousehistory at gmail.com. You can also get in touch on Twitter at History without an O, wouldn't fit, very annoying, but make sure to follow the show and, uh, you know, daily history facts and that sort of stuff coming at you that way as well. And uh, that's just about that. If I've got, uh, if you if you haven't received any stickers yet and you'd like some, I'll send them to you. No worries at all. Completely free of charge. Just send me your address and I'll send you through some stickers. Quick smart. Um, actually, not quick smart because they'll be sent from Australia at the moment. I'm on I'm on holiday back in my native land. And so, if you're on the other side of the world, then it may take some time to get to you. But I will do my best to get them off uh, as as quick as possible. Um, and uh, that is just about that. We are going to close the show out now. Welcome back to all the people who skipped ahead, by the way. Welcome back. We're going to uh, close the show, of course, with a question posed on Reddit. Uh, Reddit historian Polar Bear 2217 presumably there are 2,216 polar bears already on Reddit, um, has, a sh- uh, has a question about another famous ship, the Titanic. Polar Bear 2217 wants to know, why did they name the ship Titanic? Didn't they see what happened at the end of the movie? This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.